Hi, everyone. This is Amber, your co-host. I just want to make a quick update for all of our listeners. I'm going to be transitioning my role at Andra Ed Talk over to Laura, who you will hear from in the next couple of episodes. She's going to be helping Toy uplift entrepreneurship educators across the country. And with this current transition in my role, I just want to let everyone know that I'll be behind the scenes helping out and I'll come back on a few other episodes. But With everything going on in my life, I'm getting married. We have a couple cool projects that we're working on at the Adventure Group. We're going to transition to a full EntreEd team for EntreEd Talk moving forward. So it's been wonderful to be a part of this, to help grow it. And I'm excited to see where Toy and Laura take this in the future. Thank you all for listening. This is EntreEd Talk, the podcast for entrepreneurial educators by entrepreneurial educators. We are your hosts, Toy Hirschman and Amber Ravenscroft. This podcast is created by the National Consortium for Entrepreneurship Education, or EntreEd for short. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another awesome episode of EntreEd Talk. We are so excited to be here today with Dr. John Raynoni. He's a good friend of ours. He is the fourth president of Dabney S. Lancaster Community College. One of Dr. Raynoni's passions is teaching, and he brings 28 years as an adjunct faculty member at the undergraduate and graduate levels in the area of business research methods, nonprofit management, organizational behavior and leadership, and fundraising and development, a wide portfolio there. Dr. Raynoni has been awarded the Emerging Leadership Award from AACC, the Giving Back Diversity Leadership Award from Insight into Diversity Magazine, and was named a mover and shaker by Seacoast Media Group. He's a graduate of the League for Innovation Executive Institute and completed the Harvard University Seminar for First Year Presidents. Welcome, John. How are you? Thank you so much. Thanks. Uh, thanks for inviting me. It's great to be here. No, I'm, I'm pumped. We, we've talked for a while. We've heard a little bit about everything that you've done in this space, but I'm excited to deep dive. Um, but we like to kick it off with a entrepreneurial trajectory question. So, Growing up, did you always want to be an educator? What kind of led to where you are today? No, I wanted to play outfield for the Red Sox. That was really <laughs> my, that was my number one goal because I guess when you're 12 years old and you play in baseball and I played baseball in high school, you know, you just thought that that's what you were going to do. Uh, then it quickly realized that, you know, the, the small percentage of people who actually, um, become baseball players and then you get some reality in high school and uh, and then when you go to college and and so forth um, for me I it was really my junior year of high school that I started to take business classes and um, I thought I was going to become an accountant okay and um, I took accounting which was in reality bookkeeping um, and went to college as an accounting major and made it through my first year and my first semester of my second year um, hit cost and intermediate accounting at the same time. And the two hardest classes I ever had, the only classes I ever had tutors for, and it was my only, I got a C and a D and that was my only D in college. And I said, well, if I'm not getting it now, I probably, should start exploring various options. And there was a brand new major called business communications. And I had some friends of mine who were switching from management and other, and it was almost at the time, they were a little ahead of themselves. It was was almost a customizable degree. So I didn't lose any credits 
as I transferred from accounting, you know, I needed more experience in technical writing, in, in speaking, in communications, et cetera. And then somewhere along the line, um, I had, I, when I was a senior, I had teachers who asked me to come into classes and started to really talk to some of the undergrads about, about coursework. And, you know, with the small major, my, the, the first graduating class, we had 12 students in, in our graduating class. So, uh, and all of us obviously had, had changed majors. And uh, it was really my first job out of college I I got thrown into a I had this opportunity to be this training manager for a construction trade association. So I knew training and development was something that I always really liked and I explored that space a little bit to become a corporate training and development individual. But then I started a partnership with with the local community college. And one day the assistant dean asked me, "Are you interested in teaching at night um, and it was a it was a business communications class so long story short is I said yes it was extra money at the time but it was also an opportunity to do that and the first class I remember it was I had 16 students at night they were all older than me but I knew by about the fourth week that was where I wanted to be was in that setting, in that communication, in that community college setting, because I'm a first generation college student and, um, and the first one in my family to, to earn an advanced degree. So I really felt like this was a great opportunity to, to help students of all ages, because, because I went through a traditional four year undergrad, lived on campus, et cetera, you know, so kids were all my age. I didn't necessarily have adult students. So it was there that I wasn't sure. I still liked the administration piece, but I still had the passion for, for the teaching and the facilitating. I've been able to do both in my 30 years of experience. Awesome. That's <laughs> that. I think you you already answered the, the next question I was going to ask you. <laughs> oh, sorry. Uh, okay. <laughs> Talk about, can you talk a little more about your time as, as a faculty member and, and your experience, how you've seen sort of the landscape change from what you used to teach to what, in, even in that same field in the business organization? Yeah, the, the interesting thing about that is, you know, that first class was one night a week, three hours for 15 weeks. And it was uh, online. Online was never heard of. You know, uh, one of the projects was a library assignment where we actually took the class to the library, okay? And I actually had something called a scavenger hunt that I created a scavenger hunt where they had to go and find actually volumes of books. So it was really very funny when you think back of it. There was, there was maybe one computer, but uh, it was the old card catalog days the goal of the class was to really educate the students about what resources were available. Well, now today, you know, we may still have a librarian come into class, but everything is shown virtually, okay, on the resources. 
I like to have guest speakers in, come into class and everything. And through those 28 plus years of being adjunct, I've also, I've taught fully face-to-face. -face, I've taught fully as a, I've taught as a hybrid and I've taught completely online. And I think your methods have to be very different in that case. As a facilitator, I'm gonna use that word more than a teacher. You know, the face-to-face, -face, they, uh, Every student has the security blanket of seeing you once a week. The hybrid actually was kind of interesting because the classes I taught as hybrid was actually economics. And that, because it's, it's pretty intense at times, that once a week instead of twice a week in a, in a given class, the students had that, had that safety of seeing me, but they, but they realize that there was still quite a bit of work outside. However, on the, on the completely online class, which is where we are today, the difficulty there is students think that if it's an online class, it, it must be easy. And in reality, as a teacher, I've spent, I've spent more hours in an online class um, and than I did, than I ever did preparing for a three-hour lecture um, with exercise. So, so really that whole curve has come a long way. And the ironic thing is, is that I think that it's important to still have a little pieces of, of all three. But uh, I think from, I think a graduate level class, the thing I really loved at the uh, taught a graduate leadership class. Well, I love the face-to-face -face because it was really much more, we'd sit in a circle with their small classes, uh, much more engaging and everything. But uh, teaching as a hybrid may be a more comfortable situation for a lot of students because they still have that freedom of teaching online. But then they also have, at least they get to see you once a week and you could do it's almost a flipped classroom. And that's, that's, you know, before that, even the word flipped classroom, I think that's what I was really doing. I wasn't doing lectures. It was really much more exercises and class activities when we were meeting for an hour and a half a week instead of three hours. That's um, awesome. I want to talk to you. You had said something that really struck me and we, we mirror this all the time with our educators is this idea that you don't refer to yourself as an instructor. You said, I'm a facilitator. So I was wondering if you could, um, for our listeners, like define the difference between being an instructor and being a facilitator of learning. Sure. You know, I think back to the, to the teachers I've had and which ones I liked the best and which ones I didn't quite <laughs> like. Um, we, won't, we won't ask uh, you to say any names. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. And the ones that I struggled, I struggled with was the ones that who would frankly drone on for three hours, okay? And they would ask the question, do you have any questions? And frankly, I'm not sure I knew enough to even ask questions. And, and so as a first generation college student and thinking about teaching at a community college, uh, that was really the approach that I felt like, you know, in every position we learned from our previous supervisors, our previous teachers, things that we liked and things we didn't like and that's really what I tried to do was I would say that the teacher is obviously lecture 
and and some nights you are the teacher, okay, um, because it's much more of knowledge base. But a class like leadership, I think you really need to facilitate the discussion, the richer conversations. Me driving home at night after teaching that class were the ones that I remembered. Oh, Mary Jones said such and such versus me trying to explain a theory. And again, a graduate level is a little different than the undergrad level, but you know that's why participation in class is so important more than, and I think no matter what subject you teach, you can, participation and really, you know, leadership lends itself to discussion. Economics may not lend itself to discussion, but it can, mm -hmm. but it also can even group exercises, group activities, a lot of the skills that employers ask about working with teams, working together. So I think that the facilitator really tried to look at various teaching methods, okay? And lecture is still there, of course, and testing is still there, but it's really trying to bring everybody together in a different approach to getting the subjects covered. There have been nights that the discussion was so rich, I never covered even half of what I was planning to cover. But I wasn't going to also stop the conversation because I think I think the students were getting more out of that piece than than a new theory of leadership. It's so true, and what we try to we try to give to teach when we meet with them is that idea because it's very entrepreneurial as you're a facilitator, and so like you said, the conversation was so good. They got so much out of that because they were they were leading it really. You were just there to help, and and it's when you, we're doing entrepreneurial projects, we try to encourage teachers to look at themselves like a facilitator or guide because that's 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 how you get those creative right. you get that stuff out of kids, right? You get the creativity and innovation. So I know that you. Uh, you have signed the president's pledge from NACI on behalf of, of your college. Could you talk about how your how your college uses that idea that more of that has more of an entrepreneurial culture and what why that's important? Sure. Um, actually, I'm pretty proud that I was one of the earlier ones to sign. Wasn't the first year? I think I might have been the second year of the pledge. And part of that is just really the, the, the approach that I've, I've tried to take is that in coming from a fundraising background, the attitude has always been, it's never no, it's not now. And to think about things as you, as you look at my previous experience before I became president was I worked at a brand new college that I helped start. Uh, I was there 18 years. My first office was a was it a was in an upstairs of a train station. My second office was a vending room. So that'll give you a perspective of how how things get started. But the attitude of that college was find a way or make one. Okay, because we were not given all the money. We were state. We were state. Uh, uh, we were the seventh community college in the state of Maine. Uh, we were not obviously given every single dollar. We had operation costs, but but at the time, the budget was very difficult. And the governor's comment was, well, you can go build your college, but we have no money to support you. So everything that we did was truly entrepreneurial. And that was really my first experience 
in working in an, uh, I would say, a innovative and entrepreneurial piece. And, you know, we would sit around and say, well, what does the policy say? And of course, we had no policy. We'd have to stop what we were doing, go create a policy, then come back and try to solve that problem. Um, but it was really, it, it really allowed me. And, you know, I had a supervisor once, um, as, as he did, um, he was the person that hired me. And then actually fast forward, uh, fast forward 18 years, he became a co-president. He, I became a co-president of his in Virginia. Um, but he, he had something that always stuck with me. He said, you know, this call, he said, any, any organization is going to have builders and maintainers. And he said, and maintainers are fine in organizations that have been established. You know, they, they understand the process. It's really important. But he said, we need more builders than we do maintainers at this stage. Even 10 years in, we were still looking for builders. Um, and not everybody can work in those types of environments. Okay. And there was a lot of turnover. You know, there was a lot of turnover. Um, but I'm pretty proud that I lasted 18 years. So when I came here, the approach was very, you know, the first, the first two times I heard when I asked the question, well, that's the way we've been doing it. Well, we've done it that way for 50 years. I joked and I, I joked, but they knew I was serious. Okay, I said, all right, so you got that out of your system. Those are the la that's the last time I want to hear that statement. And it really came down to looking, try to look at alternatives. And really my style has tried to be, and I've been accused of asking too many people's opinions, but I want to gather as much information as possible and then make the decision. There's many times that the decision doesn't look like anything I was thinking about, but it's still the right decision. So, so who gets the credit really doesn't matter to me, just as long as I know as an institution we're, we're walking. So the approach has always been to be as entrepreneurial as possible. And you know, when I think about that is to really be creative in problem solving. There's so many things that you have. I'm just like sitting here and being like, preach, like, keep going. <laughs> well, well, I mean, I truly believe that. I, I don't, I don't think that, uh, and you know, it's, it's the whole thing of when you come into an environment and my approach here was not to come in and say, oh, I have all the answers. I'm going to save you because no, no organization wants that. I, I spent a good six months sort of the, and I called it the year of listening. I did a lot more listening than speaking. And for me, that's very hard to do, okay, <laughs> is to be quiet. Um, and, uh, but really my approach was, okay, let's, let's just see things. And I took a lot of notes and I asked a lot of questions. And even seven years in, I'm still asking a lot of questions. Um, now I'm getting questions, but really the approach has always been to try to find creative ways to solve a problem because number one is problem solving is not always equal to money. So there may be a different way. And ultimately, if we always keep the goal of keeping the student in mind, okay, 
then no matter how we get there may be very different. And yes, I also believe in the case method of copy and steal everything. I asked my colleagues from across the country, how are you approaching this? How are you approaching that? And yeah, I will steal things and modify it to us as I'm sure they have stolen things from, from us and, and so forth. So it really is a whole different approach. But I do think that uh, college presidents need to be thinking that way and to be really entrepreneurial because, you know, the comment was made about, uh, you know, funding and it does come down to funding. And my comment is, um, you know, our, our, you know, our legislature is in uh, Richmond, Virginia. And my comment was, well, if you think Richmond's going to bail us out, I said, we're going to be long gone and hard to find and be tired if we have to wait that. So we have to, you know, even as a state supported institution, we have to find our own ways to be creative and to serve the needs of our community. I love that. There are so many things that you touched on that I think are just such important little nuggets that um, this idea of builders versus maintainers, I think, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure Toy wrote it down. I can see you're scribbling, but the the idea that I would say most of the people that we interact with, John, just from our like our network of people, they're the builders. They are the people that like to build and dream. And I love that you called it the year of listening when you took over as a leader, because that's that goes back to that core idea of empathy and like, how do you really serve the stakeholders that you're working with and keeping that end user of the student in mind always, I think is so important. I was wondering if you could touch on specifically some of the more entrepreneurial projects that you're doing at Dabney, whether that be, you know, different stakeholder groups, or if there's just, you know, a specific course, whatever you'd like to highlight that's really entrepreneurial. Sure. Um, well, one of the things actually I'm, I'm deeply involved with right now is, um, so we have a large service area, about 1800 square miles and only 70,000 people. So, um, you know, we are certainly on the rural scale. Yeah, it's vast. Uh, I didn't realize. Uh, and, um, and, our, our main campus is in Clifton Forge, Virginia, which is about 30 minutes from the West Virginia border. And um, we do have a center in Rockbridge County, which is about 35 minutes away, uh, which is the Shenandoah Valley of Virginia. And um, it serves Lexington, Virginia, where, where Washington and Lee University lives and the Virginia Military Institute. Um, so we serve that area. And, and, one of, and we've had presence in the Rockbridge area for over 20 years. And we, we do have a small center of about 15,000 square feet, which does house our culinary, our uh, practical nurse program and other courses that students can serve. But it has no room for workforce development um, uh, programs like uh, dirty labs, uh, welding, machining, um, diesel mechanic, etc. So one of the things back in August, um, and this is, I think this is an example, and again, we are far from even getting to the point of sort of the start, in my mind, the starting point on this project hasn't even started, but 
it's it's really the persistence that you need to continue to do uh, that area and because of prior to the situation we're in with COVID-19 the unemployment rate was less than three percent employers were begging for a trained workforce and we did not have the ability to to actually uh, develop a trained workforce in that particular area so I, I have been working with a donor. Uh, there is a building that is available that I'm working with the donor for this individual to don't to buy the building and donate the building to us. And then we will actually create a facility where it would be a, what we're calling it is the Workforce and Entrepreneurial Center. Okay. And half of the building is going to be these dirty labs. Now, this building is only two and a half miles from our other facility, but it will allow us to bring up short-term programs that the state has put a lot of money into, and we will be able to serve students in welding, in machining, in diesel mechanic. And those are just sort of the, the initial one in potentially truck driving, which is our largest program because state of Virginia, that is the largest program in every one of the community colleges. So this project, the other side is really to create an incubator, a makerspace of some kind, because we have been a partner with a group that has established what has now become the largest pitch competition in Virginia. Uh, it's called the Gauntlet. And it's been on our main campus for three years, and we just were able to bring it to the Rockbridge area. Well, you know, we have the support mechanisms on our main campus and in this particular area, but, but don't in that longer term. Plus, it's an opportunity to really have a lot of traffic to be able to actually have that. So the pieces are in places. Yes, it's funding mechanism. It's sort of creating that vision statement of what people, uh, you know, of what we're really trying to do. It's also really goodwill with the community. And I have a number of people who have had little relationship with the college until this project has actually started to happen. And I got people willing to go and ask other people for money to help us support this. This will actually not be a technically a state building. This is actually going through a real our, our own local real estate station. So then we will have some flexibilities, uh, you know, to be able to do that. That's sort of in the process. I guess the other types of things from an entrepreneurial perspective, I guess I would say is we partnered with our our local economic development corporation and because uh, unmanned systems or drones is, has really, and, and one of the goals ultimately, when I chaired the Economic Development Corporation's board, uh, one of the goals was to really talk about diversifying our economy. And in a rural area, that's what you really need to do. Some of the, many of the old types of jobs no longer exist. And to keep people in these communities, we really need to diversify those, um, those our, our, um, our economy. You know, one of our cities created an incubator focused specifically 
on unmanned systems. And there are four businesses now in this, in this incubator. Well, one of the pieces, and we've been at the table supporting them, and, and really the big, the big movement was that we all helped, and it took two years, but we got a company who is located in Florida to actually open up an unmanned systems company in this particular, what we call the drone zone. We created an academic program in unmanned systems and technician and repair for the employees. This company's gonna hire 25 people at $53,000 to start. In our local area, that is $20,000 in many cases above the average income household That's income. Huge. It's awesome. Yeah, in our particular area. So, you know, we've tried to be creative with programming and we've been far from being perfect, but we've we've certainly been creative trying to programming. We've been trying to creative with our partnerships with K-12. Um, it's really sort of that whole, you know, the whole different approach. And, you know, how we started this sort of the entrepreneurial pledge, I saw this as sort of my statement to our community that we will, we will try to be as creative uh, as possible. We will try to, you know, all thoughts and ideas are welcome. And really just to, just to really be able to continuously meet our, our local needs. Hi all, we are super excited to offer an exclusive discount for our listeners to attend this year's EntreEd Forum taking place on November 18th and 19th in Chattanooga, Tennessee. We have an incredible lineup of speakers and experiential learning opportunities to help you ignite entrepreneurial thinking and integrate entrepreneurship into your learning communities. Use promo code EntreEdTalk to receive 5% off of every individual registration. Again, that's promo code EntreEdTalk. To learn more about the forum and register, visit www.entra-ed.org today and subscribe for updates as we launch new things happening every week as part of the planning for the forum. Thanks. See you there. It's incredible. You mentioned there about your partnership with K through 12. And I, I, I love that. I love that you're talking about how nimble, basically how you've had to make your organization, which is not an easy task in higher ed, I'm sure, in any large organization like that. Can you talk a little bit about your your outreach to K through 12 and how that works. It's kind of like a pipeline. Sure. You know, the nimbleness, I think that was one of the things to go back 30 years ago is I saw how community colleges are much more responsive. Yes. Okay. To our community's needs, because there are fewer layers in, an, in our organizations, because we typically are smaller than our, our college and universities, our four-year college and university partners. So, so being able to be nimble is certainly, it's really inherited in the mission of the community college. So our, our partnerships with, with K through 12 are extremely important because being in a small area, we have six school divisions that we serve. You know, historically, We've had great relationships with some and others have been maybe fractured for, uh, for a number of reasons. That was one of the things that I knew that going in. So the important piece of that was to really bring, first of all, treat them all equally. And twice a year, I actually have 
meetings with the principals and the superintendents. I buy them lunch, they come to the college, we give them an update. Uh, we, you know, we try to hear what they were, you know, their concerns. Obviously our number one partnership with them is dual enrollment. Mm-hmm. And in Virginia, dual enrollment is both combination of students coming on our campus and taking classes with our regular scheduled students. But the bulk of dual enrollment is actually done by qualified high school teachers who award high school credit, plus they are credentialed by us to award college credit. And for us, that represents about 27% of our entire enrollment. So uh, needing to maintain those relationships is extremely important. We include those teachers in orientations. We include that we invite those teachers to any any activities. Frankly, uh, we also see that as potentially a, uh, a future hire. Um, as we have openings at the college level, there will be a number of high school teachers who would be potentially interested and qualified to become full-time college students. Not that I would tell my superintendents that, that potentially we're looking to steal their teachers. So we do a lot there. We also do a lot with our technical centers that are part of the high school. We have um, four technical centers. And in one case, for example, we had an employer move into this area needing machining skilled workforce. And we didn't have a machining program, but and we didn't have the space on our campus. So we worked with our local technical center, which is just three miles away. They had space. We purchased the equipment, actually delivered the programs there. And beginning this fall, they will offer this program to their high school students, and we will offer these, you know, machining certifications to the general public at night as well. So the partnership is not only use of facilities, it's programs. We've also had in-depth conversations about sharing full-time faculty as well. And in a rural area, you know, the areas of uh, IT, for example, the qualified teachers are very hard to get in, in the technology space. So we've actually had conversations about maybe sharing a teacher where they would have half the responsibility at the high school and half the responsibility at the college. I love that. I think it goes back to this idea of just being scrappy with what you have and like viewing each institution as part of a larger ecosystem. Like you, they we're so intertwined when we talk about K-12 community colleges and higher ed that it's remiss to not view it as a intertwined thing. We are coming at the edge of it before we, before we let you go in light of like the, to the current situations and the uncertain times, I wanted to give you a second to reflect from a college leader standpoint on what advice would we have for educators and college administration in the current situation? Like what advice would you give to them? A couple of things. I would think about that you need to still try to create a sense of community. Uh, last week I had a student forum via Zoom I only had 25 students participate, but they got to ask questions 30 minutes long. I'm doing a campus-wide town hall, you know, later this week and the same thing with faculty and staff. You know, this is, I mean, we're in the second week of being completely online. 
And I think that it's really important. You know, I've asked faculty to continue to create those communities with their students, but also it's important for us to create that community with our faculty and staff as well. There's a lot of emails, a lot of, but still even seeing face-to-face -face is really important. I think that we will actually come out of this better off as our institutions. We have all certainly, if we haven't learned anything yet, then I would really wonder what some are doing because we, in, in three weeks, four weeks, we've learned a ton. We know that we're doing right, but we also learn of, of a number of things that we need to improve on for an emergency, for a process of something. I also think it's important to lean on each other. I'm fortunate because I'm part of a, of a state system with, with 22 other college presidents. There are 23 vice presidents for academic affairs and 23 vice presidents for finance, and they're all leaning on each other. You know, I had a call from a, a colleague president on Saturday um, just to see how we were doing. And it was a, it was a great conversation, just, just being able to be back and forth. But I mean, there's a ton of other types of things, but in this realm, I think that being able to lean on each other, it's really important. Well said. <laughs> That's I, I'm I'm seeing that a lot, and and I think that that like you, John, this is a good thing. I mean, it's not a good thing right now, but I think we're going to come out the other end of it much smarter, and I think a lot more collegial too, because we're seeing that as well. Where right now we all need to lift each other up. That's right. Right. Yeah. So I guess we we probably need to close. But uh, we want to thank you so much for, for spending your time with us. I know you are very busy right now. <laughs> oh, no, it's my pleasure. This was a great diversion. Um, I love the work that you are all doing. I love to really thank NACI for connecting us in yeah. many ways. It's really a great resource. The other thing I would say is that I, I had great mentors in my growth. And I'm happy to mentor or answer questions for anybody. They can reach me on social media or, or through emails or, you know, whatever. And, and if there's a, just a nugget, I remember the little nuggets that some people have suggested to me. You know, I'm big into research. So once I, you know, I will do my research and that, that may mean something formal or something just in a conversation. And, and uh, but I really appreciate this opportunity to talk with both of you. And we appreciate your willingness to just highlight that opportunity for people to ask questions. I think that's the community of people that we're bringing together is this idea that we are all in untreaded territory. And so to come together as a community will be better. And I love the idea of uplifting the validated learning that we're getting through this too. So thank you, John. I hope you have a great rest of your day and stay healthy. Well, thank you both. <laughs>